At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. There are tons of books, blog posts, and podcasts about how to get more focused. Focus is seen as the key to greater productivity and success. While focus is important, my guest says there are also amazing powers to be found in something that gets a lot less attention, the unfocused mind. Dr. Srini Pillay is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a brain imaging researcher, and the author of Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try, Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. Today on the show, Srini explains the downsides of excessive focus, the importance of tapping into the unfocused mind, especially in the age of AI, and the benefits of doing so, including how mind-wandering can help you be more productive and creative, allow you to see greater possibilities for your life, and offer important insights that will get you unstuck from problems. He shares strategies to incorporate unfocused time into your lifestyle, including how to make daydreaming more beneficial and why you should let yourself doodle without guilt. Srini also makes the case for multitasking and the sense of switching back and forth between different tasks. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash unfocus. Dr. Srini Pillay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. So you are a Harvard-trained psychiatrist. You've also taught at the Harvard Medical School and the Harvard Business School. You're CEO of a consultant group. It's called Neuro Business Group. It's executive coaching where you implement some of the things from your academic background and your medical practice as a psychiatrist. I want to bring you on the show because you wrote a really great book called Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try. Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. And that unfocused mind thing really caught my attention because I think a lot of books, podcasts, blog post articles are all about how to get more focused. We all want to be more focused because we feel distracted with our smartphones and the internet. But one of the things you start off with your book is you argue that focus can be good, but being too focused comes with some downsides. What happens when we focus too much? Yeah. So I do think that focus is good. I think we all need to focus to be able to make it to appointments on time and to be able to get tasks done. But when we focus too much, uh, there are several things that can happen in the brain that could be problematic. The first is that when you focus, you can create what we call prefrontal cortex depletion. And really what that is, is the thinking part of the brain loses energy. And one experiment, for example, showed that if you just, they took two groups of people, one group was focusing on the video really intensely, The other group was just looking at it normally. And then they gave them a problem to solve at the end of that. And what they found was that in cases where they could have saved people's lives, the people who focused too much couldn't care less until they were fed glucose. And what this tells us is that when you deplete the thinking brain, 
it also depletes your capacity to care, which is why sometimes you know you come home really exhausted from work, and you and someone tells you something that sounds like you should react to it, but you just don't have the energy to react to it. So the first piece is about energy depletion. Uh, also, if you are too focused, you're not really paying attention to what's going on around you. And as a result, if you're someone who has a business and there are new, there are other competitors who are working in a particular way, you may not be aware of them. If you are focused with your nose to the grindstone, it's really difficult to know about upcoming trends. You know, if you were just looking at what you were looking at, you would not know about what's going on with AI and how this could change your business. Also, when you focus, you're looking at one point. And when you look at just one point, it's difficult to innovate because innovation and creativity often require making connections across two or more points. And finally, uh, what we know about the unfocused circuit in the brain, and there actually is a circuit like that, what we know about the unfocused circuit is that when you unfocus, you actually activate the part of your brain that codes for self, the part that is involved in self-awareness, self-regulation. And so it's really only when you go off of focus that you can more deeply connect with yourself. I like to say to people that, when you focus, it's a little bit like your brain operates with a version of you that's more like your LinkedIn profile. You know, and everybody knows your LinkedIn profile doesn't really describe what is particular about you. Whereas when you turn on the unfocused circuit, this actually metaphorically invites other utensils to the table. You know, the focus circuit is more like just having a fork that picks up sort of big elements about who you are. But the unfocused circuit will invite things like a spoon to express the delicious melange of flavors of your actual identity. It will also invite chopsticks to the table so that you can make connections across your brain. And it will invite sort of anything that can dig into nooks and crannies to be able to reveal details that your focused brain cannot reveal. So all in all, the problems with excessive focus are that it depletes your thinking brain of energy and makes you care less. It also prevents you from seeing what's going on around you. It prevents you from seeing what's coming up ahead. It prevents you from being creative. And it prevents you from expressing the fullness of who you are. And as a result of that, being able to not just live through the day with focus, 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 fatigue, but to build in periods of unfocus can be particularly helpful. I imagine everyone has experienced the fatigue that comes with just focusing all day. They're at work and they have to focus on a task or maybe multiple tasks. They're shifting their focus from one task to the next. And by the time they get home, they're just exhausted. I just experienced this, the focus fatigue recently. I was driving home on a back road here in Oklahoma and there was a big storm and it was raining and you can't really see. And so I had to pay a lot of attention to get my family home safely. I had to watch the road because visibility was low. And when I got done with that trip, it was only an hour, but I was tired. I was tired. I, was, I needed a break for about an hour to recoup myself from just all the hypervigilance I was in in that hour-long period. And uh, that idea of when you focus too much, you might miss things in your periphery. I know that fighter pilots have to deal with this. There's this idea uh, with fighter pilots, it's target lock, where they get so keyed in on a target that they stop paying attention to their environment and then they might get hit by an enemy that was, you know, behind them that they, they weren't paying attention to because they're so focused on the the target ahead of them. Yeah, in fact, and there are also examples in the business literature, you know, Anne Wang, who invented the word processor, was so intent on on inventing version 2 
that he didn't notice that the PC was actually being invented. Had he known that, he might have thought differently. But if you're only focused on what you're doing and you're not paying attention to competitors, you can really lose out in business as well. So it's not just the physical focus, but also in terms of a lifestyle, being able to take time out to unfocus can have huge consequences. So you mentioned when we focus or unfocus, we use two different systems in our brain. What system do we use when we focus? So first of all, I mean, this is an oversimplification, but when you focus, you're mostly using what we call the central executive network, or sometimes simplified as the prefrontal cortex, which is really the thinking brain. When you unfocus, you are using a network called the default mode network, which actually requires a lot of energy, which is why a lot of people just avoid using that circuit. You know, for example, if I said to you, what's your next task? That's pretty much using your focus brain, and you'll tell me what that is. But if I ask you, what is the greatest possibility for you in your life? Suddenly, you're plunged into this kind of unfocused space where you've got to search for answers. Part of the reason I think this is such a timely conversation for us to be having is I believe that in terms of what we can do with our focused brains, AI, artificial intelligence, is going to be very, very, very good at that. And what we have is this capability in the DMN or default mode network. And I think the more we can learn how to exercise those capabilities, the more we'll be able to work with the advances in technology as well. Yeah, it was interesting about the default mode network. For a long time in psychology and psychiatry and cognitive science, they didn't really know what that was about. They just thought, well, there's this thing that your brain does when it's not focused, but they didn't really think about, well, it's actually doing something productive and useful. It wasn't until, I think, the past 20 years where they just finally figured out, wait, this is actually really important. Yeah, in fact, I used to joke that we used to think of the DMN as the do mostly nothing network because we used to think, you know, this thing just just sort of active when you're idle. So maybe it's like just idling, the way an engine would idle. But then when you take a look at what the default mode network can do, it's really really quite quite a magnificent network. There are three things that perhaps I could highlight about that network. The first is that it turns the brain into a crystal ball meaning the default mode network is wired for prediction. So if you're trying to predict more effectively, like when I've worked with fund managers, for example, who've built these unfocused times into their lives, they're able to make calls on the proper investments in much more effective ways when they activate this network by changing their lifestyles. Also, the default mode network is really wired to provide a level of detail that the prefrontal cortex cannot. You know, the focus brain can pick up large amounts of information and can pick up large chunks of information. But for the real subtle things, you need to activate the default mode network. The other thing is that the default mode network is super important when it comes to abstract and complex thinking. You know, one of my pet peeves in the way we're communicating medical information these days, we're communicating information as if there's only one size fits all. You know, people will say you should lower your LDL cholesterol. Well, There have been a lot of studies in prominent medical journals that show that it's really important to lower your LDL cholesterol, but studies also show that in certain instances, you might increase your chances of dying if you lower that. Similarly, people will say antioxidants are really important in food, but we also know that there's a literature that shows that antioxidants can increase the rate of malignant progression. So how do you put all of this together? Well, you, you actually can't look at each recommendation separately. Ideally, you want to be able to create a complexity of thinking that applies to you. 
If you just listen to one set of recommendations with your focus brain, you might go ahead and follow that set of recommendations. But over time, you learn about the abstraction of who you are as a subjective human, and you begin to group these variables. And ideally, this will be done by AI for us in the near future. But what AI can do is then represent this kind of complexity. And the reason I'm even talking about artificial intelligence is because I think that we're at a point where we really need to focus on what we want to hone in human intelligence. And I believe that learning strategic ways to unfocus can be super helpful. When you talk about, yeah, what we're seeing now is, I think you said earlier, is that artificial intelligence is starting to do, be able to do some of the stuff that our prefrontal cortex, the central executive network is able to do. The thing it can't do very well yet, and maybe could never do very well, is that default mode network stuff. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that's something that I'm actively working on right now, trying to understand you know, how we can help people hone their intuition, you know, hone like, empathy, mentalize, understand other people's points of view. You know, we have some amazing capabilities as humans. And we have these networks that are geared to actually operate at levels that it's difficult to make machines operate at. For example, when artificial intelligence is working, it's mostly through associations and speed. Whereas there are phenomena that have yet to be explained in human existence that have to do with things like what Carl Jung called meaningful coincidence, where we seem to have the ability to not just make associations, but to feel our way into the future to be able to make things happen. And so I think our capacity to feel is remarkable, and there are extensive connections between the default mode network and some of the feeling centers in the brain. So I do think that that honing our skills in the realm of what we can do, like intuition, imagination. You know, artificial intelligence can imagine something upon instruction. We have a certain freedom to be able to create. And I, I think that, that what's exciting about this next phase of life is that we can work on these more human capabilities, allowing us to accentuate our humanity as well. One of the points you make in the book when you're talking about these two systems, the CEN and the DMN, is that they work together naturally. If we just left things alone and tried not to manipulate, you know, try to focus more, there would be a rhythm. What does that rhythm look like typically? And then how do we mess it up? So yeah, the central executive network, the focus network, and the unfocused network, the default mode network, do work together well. But we have to figure out how to change our days. I'll give you an example of just from a personal example, and then I'll give you some ideas of, of strategically how you can accentuate this cognitive rhythm. You know, when I went to Harvard, I was sort of very ambitious. I wanted to really go to, I went to 100% of my didactics. I stayed, you know, in the hospital units till late at night. I read every single thing that was given to me. And at the end of my first quarter, I expected to get, you know, really amazing feedback. And, you know, I, I thought I'd done really well. And when I spoke with my supervisors, one of the things they said was, you know, you clearly know the most information in the class, but we're really worried about you. We don't see you sitting on park benches during the day. You go to 100% of your didactics, shows no discernment. If you wanted to train like that, this is probably not the place for you. What we want you to do is develop the fullness of your intelligence. And we recognize that off time is as important to your creative ideation as is on time. And that really sort of woke me up in a certain way because I, I realized, you know, initially I thought, well, what do you mean? Like, isn't it just important to just be working all the time and 
absorbing all that information. But I realized that in the same way that people get their best ideas in the shower, creating these off times gives your brain a time to sort this out. So one of the questions you asked was, how do you then establish this cognitive rhythm? I would say principle number one is build frequent times during your day when you can actually take a break, but take a break strategically. And here are some things that you can do. The first thing is, and there are caveats with each of these, but the first thing is napping. Five to 10 minutes of napping can give you one to three hours of clarity. Now, sometimes in the middle of your afternoon, you might be dragging through the day and you've got five more things on your list and you just say, I just, just got to get this finished. Well, if you just took five to 15 minutes to nap, you would be able to then come back to that task with a much clearer brain. Now, you might ask, well, you know, is napping always good? But it actually isn't always good. So if you nap too much so that it disrupts your sleep, this can affect your cardiac function. So you really want to think about what you're napping for and how often you're napping. So I would say once or twice a week when you're exhausted, take those five to 15 minutes if you want greater clarity. For greater creativity, you actually need 90 minutes of napping. And most people don't have 90 minutes to nap during the day. But if you're taking the weekend off and you have a creative a problem at hand, try going back to that problem after taking 90 minutes off and then see if that improves your performance. The other thing you can do is take booster breaks of just 15 minutes. 15 minutes of physical activity each day can actually completely clear up your mind. It can even improve the relationships with people around you and decrease your stress. So taking booster breaks can be super helpful. Then there's doodling. You know, just scribbling on a piece of paper Uh, Jackie Andrade and her colleagues found that doodling improves memory by 29%. And that's because your brain is less like a stiff sponge and is much more absorbent of information. Now, more recent studies have shown that you actually should be doodling something that's relevant to the conversation. So I would add that to that as well. So there's napping, there's doodling, there's a booster breaks. Then there's a concept called psychological Halloweenism. It's a term that I coined, and it refers to a study that showed that if the same person takes on the identity of an eccentric poet, that person is more likely to be creative statistically significantly than if they took on the identity of a rigid librarian. Now, this to me is a pretty profound study because what it tells us is that when we're not able to solve problems in our lives, whether it's a day-to-day problem or a relationship problem, or a work-related problem, it tells us the problem is not how we think, it's who we think we are. And if you embody the personality of someone who is different from you, it will change your pattern of thinking to be more like that person. So, you know, napping, doodling, psychological Halloweenism are all really important ways in which you can help your brain to unfocus. The key is to do this regularly throughout the day. Now, most people will say, well, you know, I don't have time to to actually do this. And and what I would say is I I completely understand that. And if you want to start small, then start with maybe two 15 to 20-minute breaks. But consider the following. Consider the fact that McKinsey has done a study showing that CEOs who are in a flow state, meaning they're locked into their work, are five times more productive than CEOs who are not in a flow state. That means you can do five days of work if you are locked in, in one day. And so it's not that there's not enough time. It's about the quality of focus that we can help 
by preparing the brain with unfocus. Okay, so help me make sure I'm on the same page. So our, when we focus, we take in information, we read a text, we're writing things, making lists, maybe even just you know thinking about things intentionally, like a problem. When we do that, does our DMN, the default mode network, kind of soak that in? And then we, when we let the DMN do its thing, it, it sort of takes the things that we've input into our brain with our executive function and starts going down different roads where we can get these new insights that we otherwise wouldn't have if we just stayed in focus mode? So yeah, the moment you focus, and again, this is a slight oversimplification, but it's a good overall principle, and overall this is true. The moment you focus, the DMN is turned off. And so it's your central executive network and your prefrontal cortex that is turned on. When you unfocus, this information is handed over to the DMN for processing. And the DMN can then come up with these insights. It can then feed this information and these insights back to your prefrontal cortex or central executive network to then execute on the task logically. You know, a good example of this is Albert Einstein, who said that his discovery was a musical perception. Now, the theory of relativity obviously has a lot of logical steps connected to it. But what he's saying is that to source information, you actually have to be in this unfocused state so you activate the default mode network. There are other people as well, Carrie Banks-Mullis, who discovered a way of making synthetic DNA called PCR. Carrie Banks-Mullis was actually, you know, his lab mates didn't like him at all because he didn't follow a strict protocol. He discovered this while he was driving from Berkeley to Mendocino with his girlfriend in his car. He had a, a bottle of wine in the car that he was taking home. He stopped, he scribbled on a cave face, then went to their little place, and then suddenly things started coming to him. You know, Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx, she founded Spanx while she was preparing for a party. So there are a lot of different examples of how unfocus can truly help. And, and I think Steve Jobs really uh, captured this well in his quote in his uh, Stanford commencement speech when he, when he said, in life you cannot join the dots moving forward. You can join them looking backwards, but to move forward, you have to have something. And he called it gut, karma, life, destiny, whatever. And I'm calling it the default mode network. And I'm saying that in order to move forward into the black box that life often is, because things change so much, building unfocus into our lives will help us to join those dots. Another person or group of people that comes to mind where they use the power of unfocus to make a, an important insight or discovery, Watson and Crick with the double helix DNA, they spent so much time focused on the problem, trying to figure out what does DNA look like. And it wasn't until they just took a break that the insight finally came to them. I think it might have, one of them might have been like a dream or a, it was like it was sleep or a nap where they finally got the insight. Charles Darwin, he spent maybe just like a few hours a day focused, you know, thinking and writing, but then he'd spend the rest of the day just walking. And that's where he got the insights for natural selection. Yeah. And I'm so glad you pointed out those different examples because, you know, I, I think that part of it is that particular sort of element of taking time out to unfocus. And part of it is also thinking about the way you construct your life. Because people who have more hobbies, for example, often do better than people with fewer hobbies. So the unfocus pertains to that as well. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. 
The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. 
Okay, so there's different ways we can wander into this default mode network. You mentioned a few, taking naps, taking breaks, moving your body. You also talk about just letting your mind wander. I think we've all had those moments where you you zone out, where you're just staring at a wall. Um, and you think, oh my gosh, why did I zone out? What's wrong with me? But I've actually, it's it feels good because you're probably taking a break from all that focus that you've been engaging in. But you also start thinking weird things that maybe, not not all the time, but maybe might provide an insight. So don't be afraid of mind wandering as well. Yeah, you know, when it comes to mind wandering, studies have shown that mind wandering can be associated with depression. Because a lot of times, and, and also with anxiety, because your mind starts wandering to all those bad things, to the stuff that's worrying you. So part of what you want to do when you're thinking about mind wandering is say to yourself, how can I actually do this in a way that's strategically positive? You know, one type of mind wandering is called positive constructive daydreaming. And this was studied by Jerome Singer in the 1950s. And what Singer said was that daydreaming at your desk and looking out the window is not that helpful. Daydreaming when you're thinking about um, just the prior night's indiscretions, you know, what did I say at the party? That, that's not that helpful. But positive, constructive daydreaming is helpful. And this is the way you do this. You set aside 20 minutes. You do something low-key, like knitting, gardening, or walking. And obviously, it needs to be something that is truly low-key for you. And then you just let your mind go to something that is positive or wishful, like running through the woods with your dog or lying on a yacht. And by doing this, your, your perception becomes decoupled from the environment and like a torch that swings inwards, your mind starts paying attention to what's inside you. And so mind wandering can result in feelings of distress. But if you want to counter this, use this technique of positive constructive daydreaming because that then immediately sets the tone that what you're going to be thinking about is positive. Can uh, journaling or just sort of, I don't know, just kind of free write journaling, could that help as well? Absolutely. There's lots of examples in history. I think Eleanor Roosevelt might have been one of those people who actually used free writing to decrease and write their anxieties away. And I, I wrote about this in on Harvard Health once, the, the fact that any kind of free-form writing lets your mind go, and it lets your mind go into very special places. You know, but as, an, as another personal example, you know, another thing that I do is, is I'm a musician, and I decided that I wanted to write I wanted, I wanted to just write something, but I didn't know what it was. And one day in the middle of a piano lesson, I just said to my piano teacher, I, I don't feel like playing the piano, I just want to sing. And so he was a pretty you know, regimented guy. And I said, well, wh what would you like to sing about? And I said, I, I don't know. And he said, well, you know, what key do you want to sing in? He said, I don't know. I just would like you to sit at the piano and I want to see what's going to come out. And let's see what happens. And by using this technique, like in just over a month, I had composed 42 songs with zero planning, zero decision. I didn't even really know what story I was putting together. It was on a long trip back from the East somewhere where I once said, okay, I'm going to listen to all of this, see, see what it is I've been wanting to say, and then backtrack and then fill in the gaps where those gaps need to be filled. And I think what that really taught me was that, you know, initially he was quite alarmed and was like, you know, why don't you just plan this out and sketch it out? And I said, no, I, I do that the rest of my time. For just one hour a week, why don't I just meet myself in the moment and see what's going to come out? And I would recommend to people that this is not some special talent. Everybody has this default mode network. Everybody has a central executive network. Why not see what's waiting for you in your brain by waiting on yourself?
When you talk about, yeah, be intentional about it. Set aside time in your schedule, your day for those periods. So you have, a, you, you call it a tinker table, right? Instead of a timetable, you set up a tinker table where it's like, I'm going to schedule the times where I'm just going to let myself run free. Whether that means I'm going to use a music lesson just to improvise and come up with stuff, or it could be, I'm just going to use a, an hour where I'm just going to draw and just see where it goes. You have to be intentional about it. Because if you're not, there's so many other things out there that can control your attention, that wants your attention, your focused attention. So if you want to create that default mode network time, you have to create it for yourself. I really think so. You know, because I, and the reason I call it a tinker table is that in the same way that you schedule in actual appointments during the day, schedule this tinkering time into your day. I can't tell you how many organizations I speak to about burnout and about what the different causes of burnout are, and about how they can approach this, and everybody understands what that is. But when push comes to shove, and I say, who's going to implement this? Most people say, I don't have the time to implement this. I, I don't have the time to take time off. I don't have the time to, to do this for myself. And essentially what I've said to them is that what we all need from time to time is some kind of reskilling for self-care. We need to realize that we're taking care of ourselves in a way that makes life more enriching if we build these tinker tables. You're not sort of just rushing through your day and trying to get everything checked off and not really caring about taking these times off is doing a disservice to yourself. I think when sometimes when people, I know I do this, when I have a, a break, when I want to take a break, I'll immediately go to the internet, right? So I'm taking a break from my focused work work and then I'll just, well, I'm just going to browse the internet uh, see what's on Instagram or see what's on the, the news site. Is that detrimental or should people, is that okay to let your mind wander the internet like that? So I think studies in general show both sides of it, that sometimes if your mind's wandering, you might be wandering in, only into negative information. So it depends on how much negative information versus positive information you're allowing your mind to wander into. So in general, I think that that's okay. But there is a void in your mind that's an important place to reach so that you can become a creator of your new future. Wandering through the internet, I think, is a great way to take yourself off of super-focused tasks. But what if you use this time to use what I call possibility thinking? You know, a lot of people don't realize that possibility, just the hope, the possibility of something actually changes your brain chemistry. It can increase your opioids, helping you to de-stress. And it can also, it can really sort of help you calm down and it can help you uh, control your brain much more effectively. And one of the things that I like to remind people of is that possibility thinking involves asking the question, what if? You know, some of the greatest things in the world that have been created have been created in what if time. And again, most people will say, I don't have what if time. But if you think about some people who I think are just great examples of possibility thinkers, Martin Rothblatt, for example, who is the CEO of a pharmaceutical company now, had no background in medicine, but two of her kids had lung diseases, and it was pulmonary hypertension, I believe. And there were no drugs out at all for this. So she did what any loving mother would probably wish they had done. She decided to start a pharmaceutical company. She gathered the expertise that she needed, and she now has five drugs that have been approved so that her kids can breathe and other kids with the same disease can breathe. But she didn't stop there. She then said, but what if I could actually make lungs? And so she's now started to make lungs. But she also didn't stop there. She asked, what if I could invest in helicopters that could efficiently transport these lungs to people when they needed them? 
And when I talked to her about this and I said, you know, it, this is such a remarkable thing. How can anyone live to this level of life? And she said, it's really not that remarkable. I just give myself time to think of what's possible. And then I gather the resources to make that happen. Now, for most of us, we're always wishing and dreaming and thinking, I wish I had more money. I wish I were less lonely. I wish I could feel happier. But what if we committed to this possibility? What if we set aside time for this possibility? You know, if you think about it, when you're building a building, in most cases, if you're building a house, it doesn't happen without a blueprint. And the blueprint takes time to put together. And then you've got to get builders to build a house. And then you've got to find a way to put all the stuff together. In the same way that you build a house, to build a life without a blueprint, I think is a crime. Because you can change the blueprint. You can build new houses. You can build new possibilities. But why would one live a life without creating time for this blueprint? Okay, so we can go into default mode network on a day-to-day basis where we intentionally block in time where we're just going to let our mind wander and explore, daydream, journal. We could play. We could do music. We could walk, run, exercise. Showers have been known for, to put people in that default mode network. That's why you get these great insights while you're taking a shower. I want to talk a bit about multitasking because you have a chapter dedicated in the book about this. And multitasking gets a bad rap. As we talk about how, you know, we actually don't multitask. We just instead shift our attention back and forth between tasks. And we shouldn't do that because it just wears our brains out. But you actually, in this book, you make a case for multitasking. What do you think the benefits of multitasking are? Yeah. So in general, I, I would say the overwhelming number of studies have shown that multitasking in the way that people usually do it. I had an experience recently where someone was on a Zoom call with me off screen while they were on two other calls at the same time. And I was sort of like wondering, how are they doing this? And can you really absorb information? I don't think you can multitask like that and take in information. However, there are a group of people who are called supertaskers, who are like expert jugglers, who can juggle a number of different things in the course of a day. Now, if you have a rigid mindset, you're not going to give in to the freedom of juggling. Right? You're going to keep on thinking in a rigid way. It's going to be hard to juggle throughout your day. But what studies show is that for the small percentage of people who do allow themselves this kind of freedom and flexibility, they are able to multitask. Bob Johansson from the Institute of the Future, who talks about what we're going to be seeing in workers of the future, says that the future is really going to be about continuous partial attention. Someone's going to pay attention to what's on their phone. They're going to pay attention to what's in their email. They're going to pay attention to some other task that they have to do that suddenly comes in. For each of these phenomena, there's obviously a point at which it's not helpful. But before it's not helpful, if we can grant ourselves that flexibility, if we can train our brains to be flexible, our ability to do those multiple things will probably improve. So while I don't wholeheartedly recommend multitasking, I will say that supertasking is possible by developing the flexibility of your brain and the default mode network can be super helpful with that. What does productive supertasking look like? What would that look like in a practical, concrete example? Well, there there are a couple of different ways. I think if if I think about what practical supertasking is, when I put videos together for marketing, for example, I will allow myself to acknowledge when I feel bored. So I'll collect images, and then when I get bored of that, I'll collect B-roll, and when I get bored of that, I'll think about text, and then I'll put this all into an iMovie file, for example. And then I'll realize that it was I really had the permission to go back to stuff when I was not bored 
rather than just sticking to one thing. But in the end, I had a high quality experience by putting that all together. So productive supertasking is, is about how in certain situations, you don't have to do everything from start to finish. You can stop midway, take a break, do something else, come back to what you're doing, and then start that again. In that way, boredom does not become a rule in your life. Boredom, I think for a lot of people, boredom is one of those toxic forces that makes them burn out far more easily. Whereas if you could do something until you stop being interested, you can actually allow yourself to feel excited more often than not. I do this sometimes with deadlines. You know, rather than setting sort of you know, one deadline for one project, then going on to the next project, I'll have three projects and I'll set a deadline that I have to meet, but I won't have a rule about which task I'm going to be working on at a particular point in the day. And what I find is that by giving myself permission to not be bored, by allowing myself to switch tasks when I need to, not only do I develop the ability to switch tasks, which has been shown by research, this capacity is, it, it is possible to develop this capacity. What I also do is I give myself the opportunity to have a more excited and engaged life. Have you noticed when you do that task switching, so you say you switch from one task to the next, you're in a way you're giving your brain a chance to unfocus on that previous task um, and you're focusing on this different task. Are you able to get the benefits of unfocus on that previous task? You know what I'm saying? So if you're working on project B, do you get insights on project A while you're working on project B? Yes, I think a lot of the time you actually get insights. So task switching can have a price in that if you completely lose connection with something and then you've got to come back to it and you've got to start all over again, that can be problematic. But if you can if you can switch at a point where you can retain what you've been working on and then you move on to the next task, you often see, for, for me, I often see insights across both things. You know, right? People will often ask me, you know, how is it that you work at the intersection of science, art, and technology? Well, I find them all, they're all extremely exciting. You know, I can design the art based on brain science. I can then ask actual digital artists to come work on our technology platform. We can, I can work closely with a computer scientist to set up a machine learning algorithm that will match an experience to someone's anxiety state so that it's individualized for them. That only happens because I'm thinking in a cross-domain way. I'm thinking about the brain. I'm thinking about how, how, how might I design this, this video based on the brain? And then I'm thinking about how can I then create a, a machine learning algorithm that can deliver an experience that's specific for an individual. That kind of thinking is not possible if you stick to one domain only. Well, you mentioned another way earlier how we multitask with probably not knowing that we're multitasking. That's doodling, right? Like when we're in a boring meeting, and you might start doodling on a piece of paper. We talked about that actually can help you focus more. Like that multitasking is actually good for you. Yes, absolutely. You know, so I think I think when you're doodling, you're actually giving yourself permission not to hyper attend to something. Like sometimes people will be so concerned about what they're listening to that they don't understand that letting your mind go can actually be extremely important. Yeah, with the doodling, I know when you go back through some of the archives for the presidents, you look at their notes, they keep that stuff. A lot of them in these really big, important meetings where they're discussing battle plans, high-level strategy, 
there's doodles. Like JFK's got doodles when he's having meetings about nuclear arms negotiations. And you're like, why? You should think, well, you should be focused, man. You should just be like, you shouldn't be doodling, but it probably helped him. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think, I think when, and also when you're doodling, you're also contemplating more deeply, right? You're letting an idea sink into your mind. You're listening, but you're letting it sink into your mind, and you're also involving yourself in the listening. And I think that's a pretty effective form of listening in many instances. And as you pointed out, there have been many notable presidents who've doodled as well. Okay, so don't be afraid of doodling. If you're at a meeting and you're starting to feel antsy and bored and you start doodling, that's okay. It could actually be helping you. Well, Srini, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work? Well, thanks so much, Brett. Yeah, it's lovely talking to you. You can find me at drsrinipillay.com. You can also find me at nbgcorporate.com. N as in Nancy, B as in boy, G as in girl. And you can follow me on Instagram at drsrinipillay. Fantastic. Well, Srini Pillay, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Brett. My guest today is Dr. Srini Pillay. He's the author of the book, Tinker, Doodle, Dabble, Try. It's available on Amazon.com. You can find more information about his work at his website, drsrinipillay.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash unfocus. We find links to resources where we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanless.com where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay, reminding you to to listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.